Today on episode number 299, I have such a special guest. Amanda Coolidge joins me to talk about growing up open. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Teaching in Higher Ed. I'm Bonnie Stahoviak, and this is the space where we explore the art and science of being more effective at facilitating learning. We also share ways to improve our productivity approaches so we can have more peace in our lives and be more present for our students. Amanda Coolidge is the Director of Open Education at BC Campus in British Columbia, Canada. She leads the province's initiatives in open education, from open textbooks to open pedagogy, and with a team of eight people who work across British Columbia to enhance access for students. Amanda has a master's in educational technology and has had many years of experience as an instructional designer at various universities across Canada. Amanda has worked in open education in Calgary, Alberta, Nairobi, Kenya, and in British Columbia. When Amanda is not at work, she can often be found on the beaches and in the woods of British Columbia, traveling with her family in their 32-foot fifth-wheel RV. Amanda and her husband and her son live in the RV six months of the year and enjoy everything there is about the outdoors and the opportunity to explore across North America. In addition to Amanda's love of the outdoors, she's also quite passionate about jazzercise and, in fact, is going to be performing in the Disneyland Parade next week in Anaheim with her jazzercise team. Amanda, welcome to Teaching in Higher Ed. Thank you. I'm so excited to get to talk to you today. One of my favorite parts of your bio is your reference to being involved in jazzercise. Mm-hmm. I love jazzercise. <laughs> and, you know, I've only been doing it about three years now, and it's just become um, really a part of my weekly to do's. And it just brings me so much joy when I get to do it. I am physically not able to do it right now, but I have a playlist of having done it for uh, mm-hmm. 15 or 20 years. And I can still remember the choreography to so many of the songs. And they really do bring us life and bring us energy and strength. It's so much fun to be able to dance to songs that can do that. Today, we have a little bit of a musical theme going with us. We're going to start out with a song I'm not sure how many of our listeners will have heard of, but it's by Johnny Cash. And, and it's actually the only song of his that I could just rattle off. And it's called I've Been Everywhere. And he it sounded like you had heard that before, Amanda. That's correct. You've heard that song of his? Oh, yes. Yeah. I, I love Johnny Cash. And I definitely have heard that one. I wish I knew the lyrics because he's like, I've been to here and here and here and I've gone here and all this. Yeah, place. I don't know the exact locations he's always been to, but I love that sort of the cadence of the con- of the way the song goes, you know. Oh, And I'll put a link in the show notes. So just in case someone hasn't heard it, it's definitely one of those songs that will stay stuck in your head in a beautiful way and also might get you to thinking about the places that you've been in your life. I've had the privilege of being able to hear Amanda speak at the Open Education Conference in 2019. And Amanda, one of the things that you shared, which is very unique to you, is all the places that you've been. You really have been everywhere. (laughs) So would you tell us a little bit about where you've been in your life? 
Sure. So I definitely have a unique upbringing. I was born in Washington, D.C. My father is American and was a member of the United States Foreign Service for his career. And my mother is Canadian. And so we grew up overseas. We started off, as I said, in Washington, D.C., and then moved to England, followed that by Poland. And then we moved back to Washington, D.C., then to Pakistan, back to Washington, D.C., and then uh, Guatemala. And uh, I went to university up in Canada, Nova Scotia, and made my way then to Calgary and then to Kenya, where I started a lot of open education work and then have found myself in beautiful British Columbia. So many times, one, one of the things that I've studied in, in my academic part of my life has to do with organizational change. And you see so much just the pain that people go through at trying to avoid change as if we could possibly do it, but just just trying to keep that status quo. Do you find that your experiences in being in all those different places, all new friends, a whole new culture to learn, does that contribute today to you being more open to those kinds of experiences or, or how has it affected you? Yeah, that's a great question. I definitely am very welcome to change. I really, I thrive in an environment that's either quickly changing or has the opportunity to adapt. And I think that's sort of where I really resonate with open education in the sense that, you know, there's nothing ever static. It's always growing or building or changing. And I think that's also why I really resonate with education as well as this opportunity to change and to grow. And then in terms of an organization, I definitely have I'm much more comfortable when organizational change happens, but I'm also very keenly aware of the effect change can have on others. And because I am aware of that effect, I do my very best to make sure that we have transparent communication, that people are very aware of changes that are happening, and most importantly, understanding why. And I think that's a lot of where my upbringing really helped. My parents were always very thoughtful when it came to you know, this is where we're moving to. This is why we're moving to this area. And um, here's what you know, what you need to know about the area. These are the things that will change in your life. And these are the things that will remain consistent. There's a wonderful author in the area of organizational change and personal change. His name is William Bridges. He wrote a pinnacle work called Transitions. And then he also followed it up with a book about leading transitions that's called Managing Transitions. And finally, wrote the most heartbreaking but beautiful book about his wife's battle with cancer for seven years and then eventually passing away. And he goes back and he looks at his whole decades and decades of work on change and puts it to the ultimate test and says, Mm -hmm. do all the things that I have believed to be true still hold true as I grieve the loss of the love of my life? And it's called and yeah, you would really think I'd remember the name. But <laughs> I'll look it up and I'll definitely put it in the show notes. If you looked up his name, you'd find the other two books, but it's the the, how, the way of how something. Yeah, I'm not getting to it. But I bet you as soon as we hang up, though, Amanda, it's coming yeah. right back to me. But it, But the reason I bring it up is that he does this both uh, the book about personal change, but also for leaders there's some strategies that we can use. Because first of all, he starts out with thinking, we think change begins with beginnings. 
but change actually begins with endings. Mm. So that's a really poignant part of the book. But the part I wanted to talk to you about is he refers to as the neutral zone. And I know, I know as soon as I tar- start talking to you about it, you'll know exactly what I mean, where it's like, all I have a new job, or I moved to a new place, or I started, you know, working with a nonprofit. And now I, you know, all these new names and and ways of helping people. And I'm still new to this. So he talks about that the new stuff's not solidified yet. The the system's not there yet or the process or everyone's not comfortable. Everyone's very uncomfortable. (laughs) But that there also can be these incredible things where we get just so and we have so many ideas because when you expose yourself to a really different environment, then those ideas can really spark. So I'm curious for you as you reflect on that, what are the strategies that you think are helpful to us when we're in that period of in-between? We're not to the new yet, but we're also, the old is no longer there. And sometimes this can be for good reasons or really heartbreaking reasons. But how do you nurture that in-between time when you're just having to wrestle with it all, the fear, the change, and how do you encourage others as well? So there's a, so one of the things as you were talking about that, it really made me think about how change really builds resilience in people. And I think, you know, that's one of the great qualities that both my sister and I were able to really manifest through the the change that we had growing up and just to become more resilient individuals. And I think one of the things is, is when you're in that in-between stage, in particular at an organizational level, I think what the best thing to do is when you when you have all of these ideas and this energy and really a very interested, you know, this sort of persona that you're just you just want to dig in and get in there. I think it's also really important to slow down and to listen. And I think that was one of the things, you know, as we were growing up and I had the opportunity to experience different cultures, the transition period and that in-between period was really about stepping back and really getting a better understanding of what is the culture that I'm entering. What do I need to listen for? What is sort of the way that I need to be in this environment? And I think, you know, when we're in that in-between stage at an organization, if you're moving to a new job or you're moving to a new organization or you have brought new staff on, I think it's really important to honor that slowing down a little bit where you have the opportunity to pay attention, to ask the questions, to really investigate, and then to really hold on to those ideas, either one thing I do a lot is like journaling, you know, writing the ideas out, because oftentimes, if you come into a situation where you're excited about the change, you don't necessarily know what the reaction is of others. And so I think it's also important to be respectful of that. And sometimes when you enter those situations, and you have all these great ideas, it can sometimes feel like a bombardment on another person or to other people. And so that's why I always suggest like journaling it out, thinking about it. And then, you know, as you're listening in and really getting to understand the culture of the institution or the organization or the environment you're going into, then it's the opportunity to engage others into the work as well. There's so much wisdom in that. Thank you for sharing that. I was thinking back to when I've had devastating change happen and that I can so easily fall into fear. And then there's also the part of it where we lose part of our identity. We didn't really lose part of our identity. We just, we lost, I lost the part that I like to cling to because it's a nice, easy definition for who I am on the surface. You know, what do you do? Like, and, and I didn't have that anymore. And how rich when we can slow ourselves down and feel that pain and feel that loss because you're not really different. You still are you. 
I mean, sometimes you're growing into a new you, you're becoming something else. But that little cocoon analogy might be a good one to use here because that journaling, that reflecting, because most of the time acting out of fear is not going to help us too much. And, and sometimes it certainly can in life. But mm-hmm. for the most part, that's kind of our, you know, what we've, we haven't evolved out of just that fear response. And most of the time, what you're going to get is not the most sophisticated of human behavior or thought. Right, right. <laughs> I was mentioning to you that I still feel very new in the world of open, gone to a couple of conferences, read some books, had a number of people on the show who have taught me so much, but I still feel new. What I'm able to do now, Amanda, is see it so much more. And since we started out with the song, we talked about Johnny Cash's I've Been Everywhere. I have uh, my daughter is now um, going through at her school a unit on the Beatles and it's just so much fun and one of the songs that she's fallen in love with is Blackbird and I know your son has a connection with that song yes. too. My son is same thing you know I don't I must be sort of their curriculum of music at this stage but even up here in British Columbia he's great too and I could hear him in the bedroom all of a sudden start singing the words to Blackbird sings in the dead of night and I was ran in and was like, where did you hear that? You know, how did you hear that? And he said, well, it's just music class, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, those moments are so inspiring because you're, you just think, oh my gosh, that's just the sweetest, oh. sweetest song for you to listen to yeah. you know, and to learn. Even though I'm so new and open, now I just see it everywhere. So our daughter, she started rewriting. So she's remixing uh-huh. the Beatles lyrics. And she's saying, Mommy's gonna get me some Cheerios. <laughs> I morning. love that. It was great. So I see it everywhere. I see open. But yet I also know that I can't see it as holistically and as beautifully and magnificently as I want to that I'll, I'll get I'll get stuck on the first part of it. And I don't have as beautiful as a vision as I know you have for open. So I wonder if we might together and mostly I need you to do this, Mm -hmm. (laughs) rewrite the Beatles song Imagine. And would you share a little bit of your reflections on your imagination, what you would love to paint for us? What can education be? Imagine for us, paint that picture for us. What can education be? I just think for me in particular, when I think of the role that I that I would love for open education to play, well, in particular, just education in general, is education has always been a very strong part of my life. It's where I felt very secure and safe. And it's where, you know, I always saw leaders build and grow. And I want that for so many children. And I really believe I'm a big advocate of the public school system. And I really believe that if we can create a society whereby students who attend elementary school, middle school, high school, post-secondary education, if they have the opportunity to feel safe and to feel heard and seen, I feel like that is the environment that we can create. And I think, you know, a lot of times I go back to Jesse Stommel's work where he really speaks very beautifully and writes wonderfully about the way in which students need to be heard. And in particular, it makes me often think, you know, at which point did we determine that students aren't human beings? 
And I really want to be able to make sure it's not just about the access to the resources and the resources are really where, you know, where I come from in the world of open education and, and that work, but it's also just the general access to knowledge. So when I think of, you know, the work I've done in Kenya or growing up in Pakistan and growing up in Poland, I was in environments that were extremely restrictive when it came to education. There was sort of this understanding that, you know, there was a privileged few that could attend schools. If you had the access to finances, you could then excel in your studies or you wouldn't excel in your studies. And how could you, you know, study back at home if you had to go work a full-time job? And this also happens in North America as well. And I think what we're trying to do is create more of an equitable society. And so for me, I want to see when I think of my son he's in grade two. And as I see him grow into himself and into the world he's going into, while we live on Vancouver Island, I want him to be able to have the understanding and experience of cultural worldviews and, you know, First Nation worldviews and LGBTQ worldviews, all within the curriculum that he accesses. And for me, the when I think of that, the Imagine song, and the lyrics wouldn't really work with this, but the idea would be <laughs> that, you know, I want to see content created that allows for diverse and inclusive content to be embedded in that work. And for me, that is where the power of open begins. And I think it can feel daunting to a lot of instructors or a lot of teachers and students and staff as you get into the notion of open, because sometimes it feels like there's all of these rules in place. You've got to have this kind of Creative Commons license and it needs to be this open. And oftentimes when I talk to faculty about it, I just think, you know, let's just step back and really evaluate what is your, your end goal? What is it that you, you want your students to achieve? You want, you know, and if you're looking to have your students be successful, well, let's break that down a little bit. What does success look like to you? And then hopefully we get to the stage where it's, well, I really want all of my students to be able to access my PowerPoints, you know, where I want all of my students to be able to take this particular book home so that they can study at home. And I think, you know, we're talking with open, there are some ways that we can just make that happen and look at it step by step and then if we can start expanding our world view a bit more about, hmm, you know, I have this case study in here that's a marketing case study that is really very specific to a business that's been in a family here in Victoria, British Columbia for generations. Will this resonate with the students who are coming in from international areas or potentially from Alberta or from the U.S.? And so I think it's about really examining our work, but making sure that what we're doing is creating a safe and honorable and respectful, inclusive place for our students to grow. This morning, I was listening to an episode of the Code Switch podcast, and that's been talked about. It's been a while, more than a year or two on the podcast, but it's code switching in reference to someone's racial identity and how mm. they might code switch into a different way of expressing themselves. I'm oversimplifying here, trying to be concise, but also for listeners who may not be familiar with that concept or with the podcast, but I'm listening to them and they were talking about books that they recommend and it was all books that were written by people of color. And I was very excited to hear the episode and it cracked me up because they mentioned a book that I read recently that I really didn't like. 
And oh. I couldn't really put my finger on why I didn't like it. It had been recommended by somebody. I can't even say who it was, but at some point I had thought it was a good idea to read it. And they mentioned that his entire way of being and every story that he told is very much from a white male perspective. That much I knew, but I hadn't noticed that he mentioned one woman that he dated with, perhaps slept with. I don't know. <laughs> I think he got that graphic, but he mentioned her ethnicity as being Asian. But of course, he didn't mention the ethnicity of any other women that he, he talked a little bit in his book about sleeping with women <laughs> uh, uh, repeatedly. And I hadn't noticed that. And it reminds me so much as a white woman of how hard it is for us to notice and then how hard I get on myself. I teach a class called Personal leadership and productivity. And the topic, in fact, I, I'm going to pro- uh, promote my book right now. I've written a book on productivity. Oh, the, the, the subject of productivity is so male and it's so white. I mean, if you just, uh, the authors who have really been prolific in that area, I love your, your vision captivates me for our students to be able to see themselves mm-hmm. in not just the course, what they're taking in, but also what they can then share out. But I just want to encourage people that that doesn't mean we get to give up. (laughs) There are going to be topics that are harder to do this in than other topics where there's a lot more work that's already been done. People before us have laid the groundwork. Mm -hmm. So there's work we have to do as individuals, but then there's also the power of tapping in this is not you, Amanda. This is not me. There's just a worldwide effort going on. And I wonder if you could share what comes to mind when you think about what's happening there at your institution, what's happening around the world. We're not in this alone. Could you give whatever examples come to your mind when you think about we're not alone in this? So there are, this is a great question because there are a number of examples and there are people out there that are doing the work much more eloquently and really in a very thoughtful way. And one person in particular that I would highlight is Savia Prescott from New America. And I spoke about Savia in my talk at the Open Education Summit because what she is doing is really reaching out to our public school systems in elementary schools and talking to teachers about embedding inclusive content in particular relation to LGBTQ students. So for example, we know that California and other states, there's a couple of other states that are actually only a handful of them that are actually saying that we can now include LGBTQ and disabled examples and history within our history books or within the history books in the United States. And I think that's where the challenge comes in, where it's like, okay, well, what do we know about the history and how do we research that? In Canada, for example, in particular in British Columbia, where we're really seeing this happen is in some work, the term is indigenization. And what that does is indigenization is taking a very deliberate look at the current curriculum models. And really, in fact, not just in education, but much more broadly in terms of the general socioeconomic structure and the way our political organizations are formed and so much more about this. But as related to education, when we talk about indigenizing the curriculum, it's taking a look at how do we break down that colonial structure of the curriculum content and how do we bring more voices of the First Nation communities into the curriculum. And we've been doing that slowly where we have created at BC Campus a series of indigenization guides for librarians and educators and administrators. And those are all openly licensed, available on the open.bccampus.ca website. 
And that's been really impactful because it's also sharing the ways of knowing and being that many of our indigenous communities hold. And I think that's something that's really important to understand. We also know that across a lot of the schools, we've been seeing many more examples, very specific examples of case studies in particular, this is coming to mind, is some business case studies that are being developed where the case studies have a very international perspective. So it's not just about case studies of the past, but it's looking in particular in economics, it's looking at case studies that are very relevant to today's student and provide an international mix. So for example, they took the OpenStax economics book, rewrote some case studies to involve topics such as Brexit, things that are internationally in the news. And then lastly, we also currently there's a group of trades instructors. So when I say trades, I mean vocational instructors who are working on a open resource for BC, which is called Math for Trades. And this is really an opportunity for students who haven't necessarily excelled in math for trades to really get their level up so that they can do quite well. And one of the things that they're doing within that is not only offering inclusive content. So what I mean by that is providing more examples of women in the trades, as well as changing names to be more culturally relevant to the population within British Columbia and the lower mainland Vancouver region. But they're also including other types of resources so that students aren't alone just reading. So for example, there'll be interactive videos and we've got some interactive quiz questions, things like that. So that it's not just about creating the inclusive content in in terms of cultural sensitivities and appropriateness, but also about taking a look at what does inclusion mean from a technical standpoint and how can we broaden that for diversity so we allow for diverse modes of using the materials. You've shared that it's a powerful thing to be seen. Tell me about a time when you have felt seen. Hmm. I really, uh, I'll tell you, this one just popped up to mind. And I haven't talked about it because, I mean, like many people, I don't love to talk about myself. But when I finished the open education talk, when I did that keynote, so for for listeners, that was the final keynote of the open education conference that would be led by David Wiley. And so it was a time when the community was feeling very vulnerable, very uncertain. And so I really wanted my keynote to sort of bring people together and really understand and understand collaboration and communication. At the end of that talk, the audience gave me a standing ovation and I felt completely heard and safe in that room. And so for me, I think that would be my most recent feeling of being seen, you know, really feeling embraced by the community. I love that I was there for that because I really felt that Mm -hmm. with you. I felt I felt the authenticity coming from people getting to their feet. That was not a, because we're supposed to kind of ovation. That was just, you really resonated. You resonated with every person there. And uh, it was beautiful to get to witness both. And then just you're getting to hear from your heart and your head and your hands. It was Mm -hmm. great. It was wonderful. Before we get to the recommendations portion of today's show, I wanted to take a moment to thank today's sponsor. And that is longtime sponsor, Text Expander. I've talked about it many times on the show before, but never get tired of it. Text Expander saves me time. It helps me be more productive. 
It allows me to automate some of the laborious things like typing the same thing all the time so I can free up more of my time to be more present for my teaching, to be more present for my life. So what does Text Expander do? Well, it's pretty much almost anything that has to do with typing that your imagination could let you do. So something as extensive as a reference letter for a student, a recommendation where you want to make sure that you format it the way you want. You want to make sure that it's got the key components in it. Some of that is repetitive, but you're also able to have on the fly type in variable. So the date you could have automatically entered, you could have it pop up and say, what's the name of the person being recommended? What are some things that you wanted to say that they do particularly well, et cetera, et cetera. So it could be something also as simple as I can never remember my work phone number. So I just type in a few keystrokes on my keyboard. As soon as I press the space bar, in pops my work phone number. Text Expander lets us save time by typing and boost our productivity. They call these little keyboard things that you type in, they call them snippets. And you also can share snippets with the team so you could have more consistency in the writing and spread that out a little bit. And Text Expander is available for the Mac, it's available on Windows, in Chrome, for the iPad, and for the iPhone. If you visit textexpander.com slash podcast, you can get 20% off your first year. Just let them know that you heard about it on Teaching in Higher Ed. Again, that URL is textexpander.com slash podcast. Thanks once again, Text Expander, for sponsoring today's episode. This is the time in the show where we each get to give recommendations. And I would like to recommend that people read your blog post, Amanda, that you wrote called 2020 Musings. And it's interesting to me now, as you had shared about your practice of journaling when you're going through what Bridges calls the neutral zone. I'm sure you journal when you're not going through the neutral zone, but what yeah. one technique to use. And it reminded me as I reflected back on it, just of that kind of work that we have to do. And so you asked three questions in the post. How am I going to show up in 2020? What am I going to do differently? And how will I celebrate growth? And I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to encourage people mm-hmm. to go read it. But I'll just focus on the answer to your question that you had about how am I going to show up in 2020? And your answer was with intention, that is with purpose. And I have two recommendations. So the first recommendation is come and read Amanda's words, her 2020 musings. I think it'll get you asking yourself some of these questions, whether it's 2020 when you're listening or 2021 or 2030. (laughs) Hopefully it'll get you asking yourself those questions. But also I wanted to recommend just in general that we show up. Showing Mm -hmm. up is really hard. We can attend meetings and go to class and teach and be on committees and work on our research and not actually show up for it. And all the Mm -hmm. different ways that we numb ourselves or the unhealthy habits that we get in to avoid those hard conversations, to avoid being truthful within ourselves or with other people. So my recommendation in general is that we all show up. And I love how you're going to show up in 2020 with intention that is with purpose. What a wonderful thing for us to meditate on. Thank you. Amanda, what do you have to recommend for us today? Yes. So one of the things that I would love to recommend is, I realize this is going to be a subscription to an email, but it is called the Better Allies website. And what you can do is you can subscribe and get in your email every Friday, an email that gives you five ally actions. And so what it says is that better allyship starts here. Each week, we share five simple actions to create a more inclusive workspace. And I really love it because I think 
you know, we often hear this and is that inclusion and any kind of work that you're doing with diversity, equity, and inclusion really starts with the self. And it's about self-examining your own power and privilege, but also where can we be allies for others? And so this particular email subscription just really resonates with me every Friday. It's an opportunity for me to get new ideas and to be able to, you know, as it says, be a better ally. Oh, that sounds wonderful, Amanda. Thank you for introducing us to that. Mm -hmm. And thank you for gifting us with your time today. And we got to hear a little bit about you growing up open and all the ways that you're continuing to help others grow and open. It's been such a pleasure to get to know you and be connected with you and get this opportunity to have this conversation. Oh, thank you. I love talking to you. I could do I could just stay on all day. It's so great. <laughs> I could too. I was telling you I felt a little nervous to talk to you, but nervous in the way of like, how am I gonna take all these things I wish I could ask her and, and have right. some kind of a focused conversation? I, I'd say I, I managed to at least get, you know, so some sort of flow here. We had music, we had jazzercise. So it was That's good. right. You did really well there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you. I want to thank Amanda Coolidge for coming on today's episode of Teaching in Higher Ed and a special thanks to Clint Lalonde for connecting me with her and having the ideas around today's conversation. If you'd like to see the show notes for today's episode, you can visit teachinginhighered.com slash 299. If you're on a podcast player, the show notes are also there in your podcast player for you to access. And if you've been listening to the show for a while and get a lot out of it, I'd love if you would give it a rating or a review on whatever podcast service you use to listen to the show. It really helps others discover it. And I just appreciate you being in community with us here on Teaching in Higher Ed. Thanks so much. And I'll see you next time.